this is where a lot of us find ourselves right now is right where the Israelites were at this moment in time. If you'll recall, they had spent three and four hundred years in captivity. They were in bondage to the uh, uh, to the Egyptians. And then God sent Moses and Moses uh, told them that God had a land prepared for them, that uh, they need to just follow him and he'd get them there. They listened to him after they argued with him a while, a bit, apparently, and then they took out. And then here they wind up at the Red Sea with uh, the sea in front of them and the angry Egyptians ticked off Pharaoh coming up behind them. There's nowhere to go. There's no escape. They are stuck. You'd think, well, they could go up and down. They could flee down the coast. But as long as they stayed on that side of the, uh, the water, those, those, those chariots were going to catch them. The chariots and the horses were just too swift for them. They were in a really bad place. Some people would call it being between a rock and a hard place. Now, interestingly, one of the things that uh, kept popping up in my, that I've been seeing lately, uh, for some reason, is uh, the phrase, follow the white rabbit. Have you ever heard that phrase? If you ever watched The Matrix, there's a place where Neo is told, well, I guess you ought to follow the white rabbit. Uh, sometimes when I'm reading uh, different uh, computer experts, I hear them and I see them saying, you need to follow the white rabbit. And uh, so I started wondering, what in the world does that mean? Have you ever wondered what that meant? Obviously, it comes from Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll's story. And uh, there's the, the white rabbit that's all dressed up and he's late. He's late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And he takes off and Alice takes out, takes out following him. Obviously, it comes from there. But it's come to mean in current uh, knowledge in some circles uh, to follow the white rabbit means uh, to some following an unlikely clue an innocuous, unbelievable, but also, frankly, a bit ridiculous sign, or to find oneself in the midst of more or less extraordinary, marvelous, amazing circumstances that challenge one's fundamental beliefs, expand one's horizons and or perception of realities, transform one's perspective and change one's life. I don't think I've ever heard a better secular description of salvation. Have you? Because that's what happens whenever we're saved. We start following something that somebody's told us and it leads to the Lord and it leads to the cross and it leads us on through a chasm from death into life. 
a life that we weren't even aware was really there because we couldn't understand it before we got there. And in the story of uh, Israel, we see something very similar take place. They wind up, they have followed the white rabbit and they've gone down the hole and they have wound up on the very brink of something amazing and astounding that is getting ready to revolutionize, will just change their lives. Let me put it that way. They will never be the same as individuals. They will never, never be the same as a nation because of what happens next. Pharaoh is bearing down upon them. They know their doom is sealed. And they tell Moses, we told you not to bring us out here. Did you just bring us out here to, to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough places for graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? And I love his response. Basically, in some passages and some uh, translations, it's stand still and see the power of God. Stand still and see the power of God. There was nothing they could do. And yet God made a way. Well, and what happened was, as we well know, most of you know the rest of the story. Uh, and it's amazing. You see what all God did. You know, they, were, they, they, were, they were led by a, a pillar of cloud by day and by fire at night. Whenever it came time for this, to, for this event, all of a sudden, the pillar of cloud came between them and the Egyptians. It had been leading them, but then it comes up behind them and it put it obscures and the Egyptians can't see them anymore and they can't see where to go. And so they're just kind of brought to a stop. The pillar of fire is ahead. And even though there's darkness because of the pillar of uh, cloud, they have light because of the pillar of fire that's leading them. And so then the Lord parts the sea and the land dries out. They walk across on dry land. And then the Lord removes the cloud, pillar of cloud so the Egyptians can see what's going on. And they take out, now that they can see where they're going, into the Red Sea. When the last Israelites across, the sea closes up and all of Pharaoh's army is destroyed. I was reading last night that uh, they have found uh, remnants of chariots in the Red Sea. The place that they've determined is where the crossing took place. And there's a, they have discovered a couple of pillars that people hadn't even noticed. One on one side and one on the other that have been there for 3,000 years commemorating the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, we don't need to have archaeological evidence that this really happened, but it's good to know that it did because it strengthens us knowing just how powerful our God is. And the thing is, is that uh, what we see here is what I call uh, a message to all of us, uh, and I call it a Red Sea experience. 
Have you ever been in a spot like the children of Israel where you're between a rock and a hard place where uh, you had exhausted all your means and you're standing there helpless and hopeless and there's nothing that you can do. That's a horrible place for a control freak to be. And yet, how many of us have wound up in that spot where we're used to and wanting to control things ourselves and maintain control, and all of a sudden, we can't do anything. And calamity looks like it's headed right for us. I've been there. Maybe you've been there. But you know what? They crossed through, and they were on the other side, and they have this glorious celebration And then later on, you know what they do? They get thirsty and they say, we're going to die of thirst. Wouldn't it be better if we're back in Egypt instead of here? Totally forgot how wonderful their God was and that he was going to take care of them no matter what their outer circumstances looked like. Before they got thirsty, they were afraid they weren't going to have enough to eat. And so they started moaning and groaning about not having enough to eat. God sent them manna. But before that, they were like, oh, it would have been better if we just stayed. We just remember the leeks, the onions and stuff like that that we got to eat and the stew we got to eat over in Egypt. Boy, it'd be so good right now. you know. And then God sends them manna. You see, the Christian walk begins with us following God. And usually right at the beginning, he does some fantastic stuff for us just to confirm that we're on the right track. I remember when I first, uh, the Lord saved me and, and called me to be a preacher, Sharon and I decided that if this is what God had for us to do, we needed to get on with it. And we gave our two weeks notice at work the next week. And I didn't even know what seminary was. I mean, I thought it was like a monastery where you wore robes like monks and uh, translated old scriptures and they rang a bell every 15 minutes and everybody dropped down and prayed. Boy, was I in for a rude awakening. But uh, seminary wasn't all like that. But the thing is that uh, I, uh, uh, we, we, by faith, we decided God is going to help us to do what he has called us to do. I had gone, I, I, I sneaked across the street from my office. Uh, my office uh, was uh, at the corner of Southwest Freeway and uh, Bel Air. Right now, it, last time I saw it was the Burlington Coat Factory. But back then, it was Allstate's regional office and Sharpstown Mall was right across the street. I sneaked across the street because I didn't, It was so out of character for me to be talking about God things. I didn't want anybody in the office to hear this conversation because I knew they'd think that old McMahon had lost it. And they did wind up thinking that whenever I gave them notice. But I sneaked across the street and I called my pastor, our pastor, who is Dr. Charles Allen at First Methodist downtown uh, uh, Houston. I called there and they put me right through to him a church of 10,000, and he just took my call right off the bat. He said, well, hey, Joel, how you doing? He had this long Georgia drawl, and uh, 
He told me that uh, I needed to need to get to get in seminary, and he had a uh, one of his associates had been on the board of directors of the seminary, and so he'd get me together with him, and they get me they get things rolling for that, and gave me quite a bit of help. Anyway, you know this is back in the time of payphones, and uh, I'd put my dime in the phone to make the call. And uh, I, it was confirmed. I thought I might be too old. I think I was 28 years old. I thought I might be too old to be a minister. He assured me I wasn't too old. So everything was confirmed. I hung up and I turned around to leave. Click. My dime came back. It was just a sign from God. I was on the right track. And everything fell into place. I mean, I'd been out of school for quite a while and I needed references. To get into seminary, uh, my main professor had uh, just disappeared from the face of the earth and was somewhere in Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, turns out he was teaching school in Puerto Rico. I ran up, we ran across his daughter later on, found out he was doing just fine, but they didn't know how to get in touch with him anymore. The head of the language department, no, he was, wasn't the head. He was, uh, but well, he had been the head. But anyway, he disappeared. And so then, uh, I wound up uh, with with references and everything fell into place to where, to make a long story short, six weeks after God had called us, I was sitting at, in, in class at Perkins School of Theology at SMU, working on my master's in theology six weeks after the Lord had called me. During that period of time, I had gone before the, uh, my, my own church's charge conference in May. Churches don't have charge conferences in May, but we had one that year and they voted me, they, they licensed me to preach. And, uh, then I wound up going before the district board of ordained ministry and then the, uh, conference board of ordained ministry and, uh, everything fell into place miraculously for us to do what the Lord had called us to do. And uh, that was just the beginning. But, so, but, so he, but, he, but he was just moving so mightily at that point. But then there were times later on where just like the children of Israel, we would begin to wonder, did we make the right move? And sometimes doubt can come back in. And when it does, God always has a way of letting you know you're still on the right track. But uh, you see, God worked on, had worked on their behalf to get them to that point. And then he did a miraculous thing to get them on through. He delivered them. Uh, sometimes I'll say that my life is a series of calamities punctuated by miracles. Maybe that's your life. Uh, things just blow up. Things go wrong. And then God just straightens it all out. That's my life. It has been for years. And then I wind up going into things that I don't even know what to do. But the Lord helps me to get it all done. And uh, it's not him. I mean, it's not me. It's him. It's just amazing the way that he lets us know that we are basically all the time, if we realized it, helpless and hopeless. He just uh, allows us to have a part 
in his wonderful plan. But sometimes you do get to those places where all you can do is look up. And sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, I've exhausted all the means that I have. There's nothing else I can do. The rent's going to come due whether I have a job or not. I'm in a bad, bad spot. And I get excited for them. And I say, you are in a fantastic place because you are at a place where you can have a Red Sea experience. Because whenever you get to the place where there's nothing that you can do and you're living for him, then if you cry out to him, you'll just, you just stand still and see the glory of God. Because God glorifies himself through our bad circumstances by seeing us through them and out on the other side. Now, as I said, some of you are in spots like that right now. And uh, the Lord just wanted me to let you know that he hasn't forgotten you. You are at this place right now to glorify him and trust everything is going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It may look awful, but it's going to be okay because you're God's and he's going to see you through. That's the bottom line. And I have seen person after person live their lives like this. One that came to mind uh, was uh, Bruce Olson. And uh, Jennifer knows all about Bruchko. And uh, you can ask her about him. But uh, in his, he was called to be a missionary. And while he was serving, just one thing after another, uh, just highlighted the fact that God was using him. And uh, well, I'll give you an example. He was reaching for something one day and was bitten by a Bushmaster snake, one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. 80% of the people who get bitten by Bushmasters die even after getting the antivenin. And they were far out in the jungle and there was no getting anywhere where they had antivenin. So Bruce just knew it was all over. And this is the, see, those are the times when you let your light shine. Bruce knew his life was over and he was going to get to go be with the Lord. So what did he do? He just laid down to die and go be with the Lord. And he laid there and he laid there and he laid there. Then he got back up and everything was cool. He didn't have any bad effects. Nothing happened from one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And uh, the thing is, God wasn't finished with him yet. He had things for Bruce to do. One of the things that he had for him to do was to get captured by uh, uh, communist guerrillas and held for ransom. And then uh, nobody would pay any ransom. And ultimately, they put him before a firing squad, blindfolded him. And he heard them say, uh, ready, aim, fire. And they fired. He heard the gunshots. And then he was still standing there. And they had filled the guns with blanks. Their hope was to just drive him crazy. They discovered they couldn't kill him because it would make everybody in the whole country that they were trying to gain the respect of and the help from. They didn't realize how wonderful and how uh, loved Bruce was. 
And so they had to let him go, but that was one last attempt. They said just to derange him before they let him go. But uh, so his life is one that just had exaggerated things like that one after the other. We have had times where I remember whenever we needed to uh, uh, make what well, well, Sharon had had Amy, our uh, middle daughter, our third child, and she couldn't work anymore. And so we'd moved out to the part-time church that I was serving out to their parsonage. So it was a 125 mile commute for me to go to seminary from there. And uh, I wasn't making enough money at the church to support us. I prayed about it and I was walking through during a, as a Bible study was going on and overheard some guys talking about, yeah, they're paying part-timers, $9.90 an hour. I stopped, I went in, and it turns out it was East Texas Motor Freight where two of the guys that Bible study worked and uh, had uh, some input. And next thing you know, I was working uh, at a breakdown terminal, manual labor, uh, part-time. Whenever they needed me, they would call me and I would go in. I looked today, $9.90 an hour back in 1977 is the equivalent of $41.09 today. And uh, I made such good money serving a church part-time, working for on a breakdown terminal uh, part-time, and going to school full-time, that it was two full-time churches before our uh, uh, income tax, gross income, was the same as it had been whenever I was doing those three things part-time. So uh, anyway, uh, God made a way by just overhearing a conversation. Sometimes we just don't know. And he has his way See, there's something I had to do. I had to work real hard. I mean, working, I had, I never had calves on my legs before I worked there, but you'd push these heavy carts around with a bunch of freight on them. And I got calves. My arms got, I got so strong. The best physical condition I was in was while I was going to graduate school because I was working so hard manual labor. But the Lord made a way where it looked like there was no way. And it was a good way, good all the way around. And like I say, uh, some of you are going thing, through things like that now. And I will ask you to just look back in your past and you can see times when you've been through things like that before. And somehow God got you through. And this time God's going to get you through. That's the message of the hour. I heard somebody say this quite a while back, and it's just so true. I've gone through enough yesterdays with Jesus to know I can trust him with my todays and my tomorrows. That's me. I get excited now whenever uh, I face a Red Sea experience because I know I'm going to see God work and I'm going to see him glorified. And if that's where you are, you can expect to see God work and you glorified. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have, a, before we go any further, I would like for us just to pause now and just pray. Let's pray.
And while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if there are any of you here who are uh, facing Red Sea experiences right now, maybe you're right in the middle of one, and uh, you'd like for just all agree together in prayer. I'm not going to point you out to anybody, but if that's you and you'd like to be for us to pray for you in the midst of uh, God's people while he is right here with us, just raise your hand for a moment. Okay. Any others? Okay. Any others? Red Sea experiences, nothing you can do about it. And you just need God to make a way. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so grateful that you have shown us in your word that whenever we get to the place where there's nothing that we can do, we can look up for our redemption draws nigh in one way or the other. We thank you, O God, that you have made it clear that when it appears that nothing can be done, that is when you shine forth through our lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be witnesses to you as we put our faith in you and trust in you that everything's going to be okay, even though it's looking so bad right now. And Lord, we just uh, uh, look up to you and we pray, oh Lord, see me through, show me what to do and help me to take just one step at a time with you. Thank you, Lord. And I pray for each one of these that raise their hands that you would move mightily in their lives and that you, through your power, would bring them out safe on the shore on the other side to where they'll look back and say, wow, why did I even feel a little bit scared? I should have known that my God was going to get me through. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.